because I'm an analytical person, you know, and that's how I was trained, you know, to study, to analyze, look at data. So that's my training. So I like to do that. And as I'm doing that, searching those questions, how do we know we Christianity has the truth? How do we know Hinduism does not have it? Because I had many Hindu friends and they used to share their belief, you know, and it was difficult for me to wrap my mind around, okay, they saying this, Christians are saying this, Muslims are saying this, who has the truth or is the truth in between somewhere, those two. So is there a synthesis of all this religion that will lead you to the truth? So those questions, I wrestle with them for years. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross. This is episode 77 of the Removing Barriers podcast. And this is a 20th in the series of How Were Your Barriers Removed? And in this episode, we'll find out how Leopold's barriers were removed when he came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hi, this is Jay. MCG and I would like for you to help us remove barriers by going to removingbarriers.net and subscribing to receive all things Removing Barriers. If you'd like to take your efforts a bit further and help us keep the mics on, Consider donating at removingbarriers.net slash donate. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. Leopold, it's a pleasure and welcome to the Removing Barriers podcast. Thank you very much for having me into this podcast. It's a pleasure. Great. I know you're a busy man, but I'm glad you can able to fit us in your schedule a little bit. Yeah. So let's jump right in. What state or country were you born in? I was born in Dakar, which is the capital of Senegal in West Africa. If you're looking in a map south of Morocco. So that's where I was born and grew up there and, you know, went to school and all that before I landed into this country. Yeah. Great. Tell us some more about it. Tell us about the community you grew up in. And stuff like that. Let's say Senegal is a French-speaking country. So as you can realize from my accent, so I learned basically when I came into this country, that's where I start really, you know, practicing, you know, in school, we were taught some basic English. So I was not able to communicate in English. So my whole schooling, elementary, secondary, even university level was in French. So and after Senegal, actually, I went to France to go for my graduate studies, to finish undergrad and also go for my grad studies. And from Senegal, that's where I moved into the United States. But in Senegal, we have like about, um, I would say, about 10 ethnic groups. So my ethnic group is called the Serer. So, and they are mainly located in the center and in the center of the country, I would say, and a little bit in the coast of Senegal in the Atlantic Ocean. And but my parents, when they moved to the city, and that's where I was born in Dakar, had eight siblings. Oh, and wow. uh, how we grew up, you know, just normal childhood, you know, playing, especially in our countries, the main sports that we play is soccer. So uh, I grew up just playing with friends and you know, and just being a kid, you know, and growing in that environment and also 
I grew up a Roman Catholic. So in Senegal, actually, most of the Christian, quote unquote, are Catholic. So we have the majority are Muslims. So I grew up, my parents were Catholic and went to a Catholic school. And also uh, later on, when I started, I would say seventh grade, then I went to what they call seminary. I mean, that's a little bit different from when you hear seminary here, it's usually at the university level. Mm-hmm. Over there in the Catholic church, they have what they call little seminary and then middle seminary. And then you, you start really what they call seminary now at university level. So I went from grade seven all the way to grade 12. Oh, wow. Literally five years in seminary. You know, it's like a boarding school where, you know, they teach you how to become a priest. So I was, you know, interested in becoming a priest. But then my trajectories changed, you know, after grade 12, you know, I did not want to go to really seminary to become a priest. I was questioning a lot of things in the Catholic Church, even though I did not understand a lot of things. And obviously, I did not know what salvation was, even while being in a seminary. So I knew a lot about the Bible. I knew a lot of stories about the Bible but really, really know what salvation was until I came into this country. So you said that while growing up, you played soccer. I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm sure in Senegal, they don't call it soccer. Tell me and my wife, Jay, what is the proper name of the sport, Leopold? Yeah, they call it football. And Thank that's you. the real football, not what we see here. In the- <laughs> Thank you. I didn't want to offend your listeners who might be thinking, oh, you're calling football? Football only exists here in America, you know? (laughs) No, no. I'm from the Caribbean, and we call it football, and we actually use our feet to play the sport. Oh, I see. Okay. (laughs) Let me just say we play football. Yeah, growing up. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Leopold, you mentioned that you grew up in a family of eight children, so 10 people total, your mother, your father. Is there eight siblings total, or is it eight plus you for a total of nine? Eight plus me. I have a brother and seven sisters, so we are nine in total. I see. Wow. Wow, nine in total. So was your family nominally Catholic, or were you like fully Catholic, believing in it and living it? day in and day out. What type of family were you born into? So basically, I was baptized as an infant and I did the first communion. As you know, you know, all the traditional Catholics and my parents used to always send us every Sunday. We go to school, I mean, go to church, sorry, and we were involved in church activities, you know, when they have different fairs or even catechism. You know, my mom, for example, used to teach catechism and my dad was the, uh, how do they call it again? The head of the, you know, the church uh, member. I mean, the board of the church, basically, Mm -hmm. because he was one of the members who actually started the Catholic church where I went to school. So he was very well connected with the Catholic church. And so that's how I grew up. But I did not grow up like reading the Bible at home, or even I would say praying. No, we used to pray. I remember my dad used to take us to, uh, you know, we used to have these weekly like prayer meeting where we go from house to house, like we rotate. And they used to 
you know, recite the rosary. You know, we used to recite the rosary. And so that's sort of like how I, I was raised. I would not say I was devout, but I was quite involved, you know, with church. And that's how actually what led me to want to become a priest, because I was always serving at the church. And I was, how do they call it? You know, those who are helping the priest. I don't know. The, the altar thing, boy. The altar boy. Yes. Yeah. So I did that. You know, it was quite fascinating. And I remember those days when, you know, after the mass, when the priest had left some wine, we would hide in the back of the, you know, to taste that wine because that wine is very tasty. So, you know, I remember those days and, you know, that's basically how I grew up. Yeah. So my dad was quite involved in the church and in our community as well. Okay. So you would probably say that before salvation, your life and your upbringing was very moral, very religious, but it was void of the true power of the gospel. You weren't instructed in what literally thus saith the Lord, but you definitely were moral and religious. Would that be accurate? That's right. Yeah. Because the focus was more on sacrament, you know, just basically, you know, attending church, uh, you know, participating in rituals, you know, not a lot of emphasis focus on the scripture, on God's word, on the preaching. Now, obviously they have sermons and all that, but even me being in seminary, it's quite amazing that when I look back, you know, I look at myself, how was I able to even, you know, hear the gospel, you know, all those years, because we were having, when I was in seminary, this is when I was in seminary, daily devotion and mm. daily classes, you know, and it's a requirement. You cannot escape it because you're in a boarding school, so you follow the you know, all the rules and regulations. So, but it's quite amazing. I never heard the gospel, never, until I came into this country. Wow, interesting. So you never heard the gospel until you came into the United States. Do you remember the first time you actually heard a clear presentation of the gospel? Yes. Actually, when I attended a church, Maclean Bible, which is the church that I attended before, that's where I heard from the pastor, a clear presentation of the gospel. But at that time, before I even came to attend the church over there, you know, I used to, so let me backtrack a little bit. When I left seminary after grade 12, I went to university. So my focus was, I was actually, you know, because I had all these questions about the Catholic church, so many things that did not feel right, but I did not feel the need to pursue to try to understand what's going on, you know, with the teaching, with the belief and all that. So I kind of left it in the back burn. I went to university. I was more focused on my studies, you know, trying to get ahead to succeed, you know, in a difficult environment because it's very tough, you know, back home. I'm sure maybe it's a case in, in your own country that, you know, at university level you have, let's say I was studying economics and we were maybe in the first year about maybe 12,000 students. I may be wrong, I don't remember, but around that range. And in the first year, I could remember only 200 people passed to the next year. So, oh, wow. so my was mainly on my studies, you know, try to make sure I succeed. And also, I left the Catholic Church. I was not attending church. I did not feel any need, you know. I would go only when it's a wedding or it's, a, you know, those traditional ceremonies or funeral. 
then you will see my church. Otherwise, I'm disconnected from church and I start living in the world. Let me say it that way. Until I went to France, actually, before I came to America, I continued my studies in France. And as you can imagine, in France also, it's even worse than Senegal because you could hardly see any church, you know, mm. in the town where I was living. First of all, even the idea of me thinking about a church was foreign to me at that point. I was not searching for God. I was just living like a lost person and, you know, just having fun with my friends and, you know, just doing so many things that are, you know, I would say ungodly for a Christian now, hanging out with friends that I should not hang out sometime and, you know, but studying and so only when i came to america and that's after several years actually i came to america because i was in new york first and then after working for the un i worked for the un for two years then i decided to do my phd and that's how i went to grad school and then in my last years of grad school that's when i was interested in starting my own business. And while I was pursuing that, you know, I came across some businessmen who were Christian, right? And they were starting to talk about God in those business meetings. So I was not there looking for God. Like I said, I was looking to follow people who are successful. Okay and to run my own business. So in my last year of grad school, you know, I came across that business opportunity and I start, you know, hanging out if you want with those people and learning from them, you know, and to learn about a business, how to run a successful business. And little did you know, these people being Christian always talk about God. They give reference to the Bible, you know, talking about, you know, a man without vision shall perish. You know, my people perish for lack of wisdom. If you remember in the book of Hosea, if I remember. And at that point, like I say, I was completely disconnected with anything that has to do with God. And when they start talking about God stuff, I was quite impatient. I'm like, what are these people talking about? We're here in a business meeting. I want to hear about how they were successful, what they did to become successful, and how I can be successful as well. And as I'm listening to them more and more, talking about God, and then usually at the end of those business meetings, they will tell you, when you go back to your own place, wherever you live, try to get connected with a church where you can start learning this principle because they have the belief that that your success is based on following some biblical principle, Mm -hmm. right? If you follow them, like the law of sowing and reaping, you know, things like that, they will refer to that. So then I say, if I want to be like these men, and this is what they're doing, this is what they believe, I better find out what they're talking about, right? Even though I had, like I said, that Catholic background, you know, I understood a little bit about, I have stories, I would say, about the Bible and understood a little bit of Catholic belief. 
but not really what salvation is. And as I'm exploring, you know, they made me want to know what they know. And I start searching, you know, looking at the Bible, doing comparison, you know. And at the same time, I started working for the World Bank and uh, traveling a lot. So going to different countries and like meeting people of different faith and trying to also understand those faith, you know, in the process of trying to understand Christianity, what it teach and everything. I'm also learning, trying to learn because I was questioning. I was wondering who has the truth? Where is the truth? You know, because I grew up in a Muslim country and because the majority, 95% of Senegalese are Muslim. So you have to believe that they must have some truth. You know, if you have, you know, 95% of people practicing doing things that I'm not doing, then there is a tendency to think that they must have something right, right? Because they are the majority. There is no way they can be completely wrong. So I was wrestling with those kind of things. And that got me also to start studying Islam, you know, the Quran, to try to see, okay, what they're saying, what Christianity is saying, try to compare. Because I'm an analytical person, you know, and that's how I was trained, you know, to study, to analyze, look at data. So that's my training. So I like to do that. And as I'm doing that, searching those questions, how do we know? We Christianity has the truth. How do we know Hinduism does not have it? Because I had many Hindu friends and they used to share their belief, you know, and it was difficult for me to wrap my mind around, okay, they saying this, Christians are saying this, Muslims are saying this, who has the truth or is the truth in between somewhere? Those two? So is there a synthesis of all this religion that will lead you to the truth? So those questions, I wrestle with them for years but as i'm like i say in the at the same time reading the bible listening to sermons of pastors looking at commentaries doing that over and over and i came to one book in the bible as i'm reading it the book of daniel and some of those questions that i had about how can we know where is the truth I start finding answers in the book of Daniel. And that's where actually I would say my search for the truth stopped. I still had interest in, you know, learning about, you know, Islam and all this, but I found out from the book of Daniel, God was speaking about prophecies and that blew me away. I was like, how do they know? How can we know that what Daniel is prophesying really is the truth, right? What he's speaking about in his book, and we saw it through history. And I look at the Quran, I could not find that. Mm. I look at the Hindu uh, scripture, I could not find that. And I check all the sources as well. And the Bible was the one providing prophet after prophet, book after book, mentioning those things. And when I check what happened through history, they confirm, they match. And that's where a light was turned on from me. And that's where I get convicted. And at that point, 
The next thing I did, I remember clearly, I was by myself in my room, in my apartment. After finding out what Daniel was talking about, prophesying, what was going to happen, especially chapter nine, I went on my knee. I said, God, now that you have brought me to this place, I want to ask you for forgiveness. And at that time also, I've been hearing the gospel being preached at Maclean Bible, especially Alon Solomon, who was a pastor who had a big impact on my life by really clearly presenting the gospel. There is no question. He does it in a very unique way. And that made a difference in my life. And I understood what the gospel was. And the confirmation with reading the book of Daniel confirmed to me that the Bible stands on one end versus all these others, because they're not even close. They're not even close. And that's how I gave my life to Christ. Amen. What an amazing testimony, brother. Dive a little bit deeper because this uh -huh. is the 20th episode we're doing in How Were Your Barriers Removed? And no uh -huh. one else uh -huh. has mentioned that Daniel was the book that brought conviction to their life. So what are some of the specifics about Daniel, like verses and stuff that uh -huh. you look up? I know you're a very intelligent man. So dive a little bit deeper for us and tell us okay. what were some of those specifics that brought you to conviction? Okay, now I specifically mentioned Daniel 9, because in Daniel 9, if you take from verse 24 to 27, if you want to take a look at it, we can... So basically, Daniel is speaking about a prophecy, and from verse 24 to 27, this is what he's saying. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most High. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in travel's time. And after threescore and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolation are determined. It took me, let me think about it, literally six to eight months of wow. studying the entire book of Daniel, but also specifically these verses and going through sermons, commentaries, you know, doing extensive research. Like I said, I like analyze things in a, you know, deeper way. When I understood what this prophecy was talking about and how it was broken down, and that was an answer to the question I had, even while I was in seminary, in the Catholic seminary, how do we know? The Catholic Church is the truth. How do we know Islam is not the truth? And Daniel 9.24 gave me the answer by telling me there was a man in history, and this is talking about 
the Persian king. There was a commandment that was given, okay, to restore, it say to restore and to build Jerusalem. And that's very specific because it's talking about this is the reign of this Persian king called Artaxerxes. And he was given a commandment in the 20th year of his reign, right? A commandment was given. So we know through history when that king came into power. And if you count 20 years from that time, a commandment was given to restore and rebuild. Because remember, the Jew was sent in deportation to Babylon, right? Mm -hmm. And they came back to restore the temple and to rebuild the city. And it's telling us there was three score and two weeks. Let me see. Um, yeah, three score and two weeks. Okay? 70 weeks. So three score, weeks first, and three score and two weeks. That's 400. Uh, sorry, that's 69 weeks. Okay? So seven weeks, three score being 60, and two weeks. That's 69 weeks. And it's telling us, from the going forth of the commandment until the Messiah came, there will be 69 weeks. And this is weeks of years, not weeks of days, like we know it normally. And if you count, it's 483 years, specifically. You say from that time to the coming of the Messiah. And when you do the math, you come to the realization we are in the first century when Jesus Christ came into this earth. And he's telling us specifically, until Messiah shall be cut off, meaning shall be killed, hmm. but not of himself. He is killed for the sin of mankind, not for something he has done. And Daniel wrote this in the 6th century BC. Now you have a lot of critics who say it's impossible, right? Because how can you be so specific about what is going to happen two, three centuries ahead? Only God can provide such a detail and precise. And he's mentioned in, in the book of Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, I will declare the end from the beginning. And he has proven it over and over. But this one was the one that really hit me. And from that time on, it was clear to me there is no other revelation that constitutes the truth than the Bible. That's the word of God. Amen. Was that the first time during this study you came to the full realization of your sin? It was. So I would say, again, it was a process of realizing my life was not right. I was a sinner. I was just living for myself. I was just living for pleasures of this world for lust and everything. But as I'm understanding God's word, reading the Bible, I came to that realization that if I were to die before I realized all this, I was going to go straight to hell. Even though I spent all my life, you know, being a Catholic, going to church, going to seminary, I came to that realization. I say, God is merciful to me. Because he had to take me from Senegal to France, to the United States, so I can hear the gospel. 
And thank God I was alive until I came here to rescue me. Amen. I was convicted. So it sounds like, Leopold, that during this entire process of discovering what the Bible says, particularly in the book of Daniel when it comes to prophecy and how only God can tell what's going to happen in the future centuries ahead of time with such accuracy and with such pinpoint precision. But at the same time, you're hearing sermons from the church, you're reading commentary, you're gathering all of this information, and then the light comes on when you realize to what extreme God went to save you. Like you mentioned, he brought you in from Senegal and he put you within the realm of people who knew these truths and would point you to the Savior. During that time, what barriers do you think were preventing you from being saved right up until the point you got saved? Do you think it was perhaps you holding on to a sinful lifestyle or was it that you were holding out until you felt like you fully understood everything? What were some of the barriers that were preventing you from being saved during this entire journey that you've described? Yes. Let me say the first barrier which was preventing me from being saved is the care of this world. Mm. Like I say, you know, I'm pretty ambitious and I grew up, my dad used to always instill in us, you know, the hard work and, you know, go for your dream, aim high. So I grew up actually, one of my desires was to work for the UN. That was my dream when I was like 10 years old, because my dad always, he really liked, you know, politics and you know, what's going on in the world. He was fascinated by that. And he was also involved locally in our community. So he would always make us read stuff, you know, let us know what's going on in the world. And I started developing that sense, you know, I want to work for this organization. And little did you know, I ended up being in New York and working for the UN. And then after some years, I went to grad school, and when I finished, I started working for the World Bank. So to me, it was like a dream come true, right? To be able to work for this international organization because I have a passion for development, right? And that's what I study also in grad school. I study development economics, where you're looking at the economies of poor countries. Me coming from a poor country, I have a vested interest to understand, you know, how we can get our countries out of poverty bring growth into the country, employment, education, etc. So that is something that is a passion to me. And I was able to land at the World Bank and to be able to, you know, to go to many countries to see, you know, the type of issues people are dealing with, you know, and to provide some expertise into that. So it was really a dream come true to me. And like I say, my focus was to be successful and, you know, to achieve that dream. But when I start hearing about the truth, about why we are in this earth, that's where my mindset shifted completely. And I was no longer drawn to success into this world, to, you know, achieving certain things. I start shifting my priorities. Because I realized, and again, while working for the World Bank, you know, 
the image that I had of the World Bank, you know, how smart people, now obviously many people are smart there and, yeah, but at the same time, the way I see some people living, I was not interested in living that way. You know, you can have some financial stability and, you know, have a pretty good standard of living, but there is more to life than that. I came to that realization as I'm starting to understand the scripture, to understand the truth of God's word and why we are in this earth, those things start to become secondary. And I start to focus my attention on how can I serve God? Because he rescued me from an eternity of hell. Why? Because I never heard the gospel. I was never exposed to understanding what the truth is, you know, about salvation. But when I found out what the truth was, those looking for career, looking for success, were no longer. So those were my barrier. And God had a way, I would say even God had a sense of humor, because he had to take me to those things that I'm so interested in to draw my attention to him. Back yeah. to him. Yeah. And that's how those barriers were removed. God gave you what you wanted. Yes. But then there was like a catch to it. Yes. Like expound on how were those barriers exactly removed. I know you already mentioned Daniel 9 and all those things, but that's tied up with the both of us. So when I got saved, obviously I started getting involved in church, you know, serving. And then I started attending Bible study, even at work at the World Bank. And then I would say even a few months, maybe seven months after I got saved, I start my own Bible study. And because, first of all, I wanted to grow. You know, it's not like I knew so many things because I was just excited about what I found out, you know, and I wanted to share it with my colleague, you know, friends of mine. So I connected with a number of colleagues of mine because at the World Bank, you have the opportunity, you can have Bible studies, you know. Muslims, they can pray in, you know, there's a spot where they can go. So everybody is free to worship. And so in my free time, when I'm at lunchtime, that's when I would have my Bible study. So I start organizing a weekly Bible study with some friends and it started growing, you know, had more people attending, having interest. And we went through a number of books, you know, Genesis, Daniel, obviously, I can't miss it. (laughs) <laughs> Revelation, you know, those are my favorite books. So, and it took us, I would say, two years to go through those different books. And at the end of those two years, the idea came to me to write a book. And that's when I started spending even more time studying the Bible. I would do literally four hours a day reading the Bible, wow. doing real study. You know, because to me, it was important, especially as I was teaching, so that I get a good understanding of what the Bible is talking about. So, and some of my colleagues would have questions here, and and that would prompt me to want to go back and want to learn more, you know. And I remember sometime as I'm traveling to the Middle East, you know, I had certain hour flight straight, 
before I get saved, you know, as I was working, while I'm on the plane, either I'm trying to get some rest before I get there, or I am reading a book in economics or in, you know, or preparing a paper that I'm working. At the moment I got saved, as I'm still traveling to do my work, you will see that I shift. I would not work, do any of those. I will read my Bible on the plane. Sometimes I will read for eight hours. I'll sleep maybe two hours on the plane, but eight hours studying, looking at commentary, listening to sermon until I get to my destination. Even while I'm there, sometimes I get jet lag, you know, the time difference. It takes me like two, three days before I can adjust to the local time. So in those days, while I'm working still at night, I wouldn't sleep. So I'll just listen to the Bible, read the Bible, listen to sermons. That's all I was doing. I was consumed with the word of God. And that's how I even started writing, you know, pieces of my book. And it took me probably maybe a year or so to finalize the first draft of my book because I was really dedicated to it. And because I wanted to share, you know, things that I learned from really studying very closely the word of God. And that's how I wrote the book. And from there on, you know, started really building that interest and, you know, and up to now, you know, up to now. And I felt the need also to translate it in French because I wrote it in English. So that took me more time actually than writing the book. So mm-hmm. but many people back home in Senegal find it, you know, interesting at least, you know, to have that French version so that they can also see you know, what I was able to write. Yeah. Tell us the name of your book. The Divinity of Jesus Christ Revisited in the Third Millennium. And as I was telling you, so those questions about, you know, is Christ God himself? When I look at all the religion, what they say about it, it baffled me that Christianity is the only religion which specifically, clearly mentioned that Jesus Christ is God himself. Amen. All the others. And that's what set Christianity apart from any other religion, beside even the prophecies that... So I wanted to tackle that issue in light of so many things that have happened over the past, I would say, two millennia. And because remember, in the first centuries of Christianity, there was a lot of debate, discussion about the nature of Christ. You know, some were just saying he's fully man, he's not God, and others were saying he's fully God, he's not a man. So, and you had a lot of heresy that developed over the years. And some of those heresies are resurfacing even in our contemporary era. So I wanted to bring a little bit of light into that. And, you know, also looking at some of these religious sects, I call them, who claim to be teaching the truth. But when you go underneath the surface, you will see that what they're teaching is contrary to God's word. And we also have your book on our website displayed, so you can go and get a copy of Leopold's book, The Divinity of Christ, from removingbarriers.net forward slash book. And go and get a copy. It's a very good read. You're listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. We're sitting down with Leopold, and we're finding out how were his barriers removed. We'll be right back. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. Did you know that you could find us on Twitter, Gab, Parler, Facebook, and Reddit? Go to removingbarriers.net slash contact and like and follow us on social media. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross.
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Leopold, after salvation, what changes were evident in your life? Most people, when they answer this question, they talk about a brand new fire for the Word of God. They want to read God's Word more. They want to evangelize more. Well, when it comes to reading God's Word and studying it, you're already doing that in full force. So what changes were evident in your life after salvation? Great. Actually, something I did not mention when I was telling my story, I used to be a DJ. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. You'll be amazed. <laughs> a, a party. So when I left the seminary, the Catholic seminary, so I went to university. Obviously, with student life, we used to have parties and all that. So I developed an interest, a passion for music, for mixing different music, you know, and entertaining people. Okay. And I carry that throughout when I went to France as well. They were calling me the DJ. In my school, we had a school where, you know, people were coming from different countries in Africa, in Francophone Africa, and then some French people, obviously. We used to organize, you know, these social gathering, and I used to DJ during those parties. Even when I came to America, when I was, went to grad school, some of my friends in grad school, if they hear me today speaking, they would not recognize me because I was known you know, for party freak, I would say, you know, especially I was in a small town where outside of studies, there's nothing else to do. So the only thing you can go is hang out, go to a party, you know, hang out with friends. So I used to do that. And I had a passion for DJing. But now when I became Christian, that was one of the toughest things that I had to get rid of. Mm. I struggled internally, you know, like I would remember those days, you know, on weekends, because weekend usually I would hang out with friends, you know, go to a bar or go to a club or something like a house party. And when I became Christian, I understood that that lifestyle is not a lifestyle of a Christian. So I wrestled with that, you know, I was quite tempted to, okay, today is Saturday. I've worked so hard during the week. I just need a fresh air. But I will wrestle with that. It was the toughest thing for me to get rid of. And especially my friend would call me because we used to hang out together. So I would resist that. And to me, if you want, you're quoting 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old man, to get rid of that old man, to me, that was the biggest struggle mm. because that was... My passion is that was where, you know, I would have some rest, you know, because I used to work long hours and for me, I needed always a fresh air, rest and everything, hang out with friends, not necessarily drinking or anything, but just being with friends, being entertained, you know, having good music, having a good time. And that was my life before I came to Christ. So, but thank God, not on my own power. But through the power of the Holy Spirit convicting me that if you want to be true to God, you got to relinquish some of those old habits. You got to leave even some of my friends. So I had to leave some friends that I used to hang out with. And many of them could not even understand why, you know, I so all of a sudden I shifted. I was no longer being part of their grouping. Even sometime at work, I would 
refused to even hang out with some of my colleagues. And that even hit me in a sense because they always ostracized me. Oh, this is the guy who, you know, claimed to be Christian or whatever. So, because I would not want to mingle and do things that will, you know, that are contrary to what I believe. So that was the hardest thing. But thank God I was able to overcome it. Oh man, I definitely can relate to that. Do you think the way your barriers were removed would be effective in reaching, you know, someone in our culture today? I would say the word of God has a convicting power. And so long as these people are exposed to the word of God, the word of God will be able to, if they are seeking, again, you know, I was at the point where I was also seeking. I was, you know, I was looking for the truth. I had a hunger for truth, you know. Where is the truth? Because remember, when I was at the bank, to me, I had achieved the success that I wanted to achieve. And I could see, you know, everything that, you know, when you work for a big organization like that, all the things that you have access to. So I was able to see all that and enjoy all that travel, business, first class. So for me, what am I looking for in life? That's when those questions start coming in and that's when I start seeking. So I would say if somebody is seeking, that's quite important, you know, because people are at different phase in their life. Sometimes maybe you expose the gospel, but they don't really hear it because they're not ready for it. They're not seeking. But somebody who's seeking, you just need to expose him to the gospel. And he will be convicted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Leopold, you mentioned that you started a Bible study because you wanted to learn more and you wanted to make sure that when you were talking to people about what was in the scriptures, that you were knowledgeable. You've also mentioned that you've written a book in order to describe and to explain to people the deity of Christ and to make him known to those who don't know him. These are all evangelistic efforts. What other things are you doing personally in the area of evangelism to help remove barriers like the one you faced in your life? Yes. And actually right now, following up on my book, I started a ministry. And again, because I'm coming from Senegal, it's a French speaking country. I had the privilege being in this country, having so much so many resources available to know about the Christian faith. So much in this country. We are blessed. So many great pastors, so many great, you know, theologians, so much. And for me, when I look at now the Francophone world, we don't have as much resources. So the idea came to me, I want to reach out to people, not just in Senegal, but people who are French speaking, because like many of these materials are English, and if you don't speak English or you cannot read English, you can't access those resources. Listen to a sermon from a great pastor or, you know, read a book or read the Bible itself. So I started this ministry called Edimov, which is like a discerning, just to translate it in English, a discerning ministry mm-hmm. where I'm trying to share the gospel with French-speaking people, including Muslims. Because coming from a country which is 95% Muslim, I have many Muslim friends, and my heart died to reach those people. Because I know I have the truth now. So 
and I want to be able to share it with them, knowing that. And this also motivate me to study the Islamic scripture so that I'm able to minister to them. I'm able to share the gospel with them from their own vantage point. And I've listened to a number of your episodes, man. I really like how deep you go into your explanation and stuff like that. Of course, we have a little bit of different focus on the removing barriers, but we're on the same team, definitely, trying to win the loss. Yes. All right, Leopold, we're going to go into a, a little bit of a fun section, find out some of your favorites. You can cheat it as a rapid fire, or you can explain. It's all up to you. So okay. t- tell us, what is your favorite scripture verse? Yeah, actually, I have many favorites, but let me give you one. First Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord in your heart and be always ready. Amen. Give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We made it actually as one of our ministry, how can I call it, motto, or because we need to be, as Christians, we need to be equipped so we can share the truth of God's word. People have questions. Now, you may not have answer to everything, but be ready. Be ready. You can point them to somebody who may have the answer or somewhere where they can get those resources where, like you say, those barriers, how you can help them remove those barriers by pointing them to the right direction. And I strive in this ministry to always give a reason why I believe what I believe. Amen. And that's one of my favorite verses. I mean, Jeremiah 29, 13 is another one also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing you mentioned First Peter 3.15 because that's one of the verses that we actually have in our podcast description. So definitely. Oh, yes, that's a powerful one. What's your favorite biblical historical account in the scriptures? My favorite, now Daniel is my favorite book. And obviously the story around Daniel Mm -hmm. is quite fascinating for me, but I love David. The stories about David, his life, how he's such a man of God, a man of faith, man of integrity in many respects. Now with failures as well, which make him so relatable. So I love many of those stories. What is the most convicting scripture passage to you? The most convicting scripture to me is 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, Study to show thyself, approve unto God a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So this really is pushing me to take the Bible seriously and to take every single word of God. We live in a time when sometimes people take the word of God too lightly. And the Bible says every word of God is pure. So we want to treat it with the reverence. And if we remember how the Bible came to us, those who start, you know, let's say translating the Bible in English, some of them gave their life. They can have access to the Bible. But today we have access in every device to so many Bible. But yet, maybe that's the reason why we don't take it seriously. But I want to take seriously God's word. Yeah, because it matters. Truth matters. Amen. What is the most comforting scripture verse for you in the scriptures? 
I would say the most comforting scripture for me, 2 Timothy 2.13, if I paraphrase it, if we are unfaithful or if we don't believe, God remains faithful. Mm-hmm. He cannot deny himself. So for me, that gives me a sense of comfort because I know no matter what, and no matter the circumstance in which I am, I found myself. People betraying me, people, you know, rejecting me or, you know, I've seen even in the ministry that I started, some friends, because of the convicting message sometime that I'm sharing, some of them would get mad at me, would stop talking to me. But again, I know if I remain faithful to God's word and to teaching rightly God's word, he will be faithful. And he cannot be unfaithful. So to me, it's comforting. Other people can be unfaithful. We can be unfaithful, but he cannot. Because he cannot deny who he is. Amen. What is your favorite hymn of the faith? Now, so as I was telling you, I did not grow up hearing, especially in the English-speaking world, you know, I grew up, you know, as a Catholic in a Francophone country. So we did not have these hymns. So it's only when I came to America that I started hearing some of these hymns. So I'm not really, you know, I would just sing it like most people. But I would say I like to listen to some contemporary singers like Sissy Winans. I love that song, The Goodness of God. Mm. I like to sing, especially in the morning when I wake up just to, you know, get energized and motivated to start my day. I like to listen to those kind of songs yeah all right great what would you say of all the people in the scriptures what would you say is your favorite giant of the faith i would say my favorite giant of the faith would be job and again i cannot help that mention daniel also to me he's a giant of faith but i would say job because what he has endured in his life It's incredible, despite all the circumstances under which he was. I mean, I could not imagine a person like that who remained faithful, despite everything he has gone through. He's my hero. So... Let's wrap it up and tell us how can barriers be removed in the life of others? I know you do a fantastic job on your YouTube channel, but tell us how can barriers be removed in the life of others? I think that just remind me the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, his disciple, he's telling him, preach the word in season and out of season. And to me, That's the best way to remove those barriers in the life of people. Just expose them to the truth of God's word. In season, out of season. 
at every time. And somehow the light is going to switch with some, as I said, you know, and with the help of the Holy Spirit to guide those who are really seeking to know the true God. Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the Removing Barriers podcast. You're welcome. It's my pleasure being with you guys. I really appreciate the work that you're doing for the Lord. We are laboring together. Amen. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To get a hold of us, to support this podcast, or to learn more about Removing Barriers, go to removingbarriers.net. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.